about these numbers, we think, what can God do through that? How can God use us? And I just want to encourage you with this. I mean, there's a card in the back. It's called LV Go. Part of it rips off. It acts as a bookmark, okay? If you don't read, put it on your uh, refrigerator. And what this does is remind us to pray for our ministries that we support and our missionaries that we support. And on the back, you can fill out weekly, monthly, annually what you want to do as a faith promise. You don't get any reminder of this. This is something that you pray about, that you say, God, what, do you, what would you like me to do? What would you like us to do as a family? Um, and then you hand that in. And basically what this is, we would love to have these all collected um, by next week. And next week with the totals so that we can get with our ministries and tell them what our support for the year 2019 and into March of 20 uh, is going to be. And so if you would just, uh, if we could just take a moment right now uh, and pray about that, that would be great. But God, we thank you that you're in control of everything. We thank you that you're in control of finances too. And God, I just pray that you would put on our hearts that how would you have us share? How would you have us uh, invest in these ministries, God, that are making huge impacts? And I just want to pray that you would just um, not only uh, give us the number, God, but we know that you'll give us the provision, God. And so I just pray that you would just do that. And I pray that you would just have your way. I pray for um, Steve Nicholson and the, and the Turkish partnership and the things that they're doing, God, I just pray that you would just move in a mighty way. Thank you that we get to be a small part of that. And I just pray that you would just continue uh, to use them uh, so that people can know the hope uh, that is found in Jesus Christ. And I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And when you fill that out, you can just put it. There's a small church back there. Uh, you can put that back there. But I get the uh, distinct privilege I do consider it a privilege. Okay, I met this guy, and it's been a couple of years at least now, uh, ago. Um, and so a lot of people say that we look alike. He's a little, he's a little bit shorter, probably better looking, honestly. Um, that doesn't take much for me. And so, but this guy, let me tell you something. He's real, all right? He's the real deal. Um, when I met him the first time, I just knew. I was like, this dude is legit. Right, And so over the years, I'm just going to tell a little bit of my story about FCA. Uh, FCA, I, I taught for 13 and a half years at George Dickens High School. Uh, I was the FCA huddle leader there for I don't even remember how many years, but five at least. And I was involved with FCA for a little bit there. And um, I got to see a lot of kids impacted by uh, the message of Jesus Christ. All right, And um, it, was, it was really cool to see that. Now, that is uh, before Terry came along. All right, and so uh, when Terry came along, I already had this thing, like I loved FCA. I thought it was cool. I thought it was just an awesome way that we can get the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, into schools. Uh, and then I met Terry, all right? And what Terry does is this. Terry has, because he's not probably going to tell you any of this, so I'm going to tell about it. Terry has, empowered by the Holy Spirit, has completely changed the face of FCA in, in our area. All right. Now, he hasn't done this alone. I mean, there's a team that does this, all right, and I'm not saying it's just him and on his shoulders. Terry has made a huge impact in FCA in our area, all right. It has grown exponentially over the years um, that he has been, uh, you know, kind of not running the show but doing his thing. And, um, and so as I meet with this guy, um, I realize one thing, that I don't, I don't ever leave a meeting with Terry Green discouraged, all right. I leave challenged and encouraged, you know, most of the time I leave in prayer for him, all right, for his wife, Jill, I mean, specifically having to deal with this guy, all right, and so, no, but I, I leave encouraged, and because 
when we meet, it's just like, man, like something is going on in this dude. Uh, and he's going to tell you about what's going on a little bit more. But uh, if we could welcome Terry Green from FCA to the stage, that would be great. Can you hear me? All right. That's twice. I've already been in near tears. Um, I'm taking communion with my new friend. Uh, remind me of your name again. Jim, I'm, I'm taking communion with Jim, and, and I could almost help but to burst into tears because of his person. And of course, we've got Andy almost putting me in tears. Um, I feel the same way about you, man. I've never left a time with you and I discouraged. I've never left a meeting where we hadn't laughed, and I've never left a meeting where I hadn't felt challenged. I love you. You're my brother, and you're the better looking one. For sure. <laughs> For sure. Hey, my junior year of high school, uh, I'm at the Key Arena. Anybody know where the Key Arena is? Nobody. I'm from south of Seattle. I didn't expect you to know that. But how many of you remember the beloved Sa Seattle Supersonics? Yeah, come on. Before they were robbed from us, the Oklahoma City Thunder, right? It was our beloved. My junior year, uh, our high school basketball team was playing in the Martin Luther King shootout. I wasn't on the team, I was a baseball player, but I was a big part of the student body. And here's what ended up happening. The guy came up and he said, listen, who wants to be in a halftime show? And I said, this is your guy, I'm your guy. I would love to be in a halftime show. I had long hair. I would like to, and I would <laughs> flick it. I would love to be your guy. And he said, okay, here's what you want to do. I want you to meet me down here at the half and I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. He said, you got a minute. Everybody say one. You got a minute. I said, you got a minute to make a layup on each side, a free throw, a three-pointer, and a half-court shot. And if you make each shot, each shot you make, you get a prize. And I'm like, this is amazing. So the buzzer goes off. Now, I'm at the Key Arena. This is a high school basketball game. It's not pit-filled. It's not packed. But we did bring a bus of young people up to cheer on our high school basketball team, who was really amazing. Two years prior to this, they won the state championship. Invite only, and the people there, they're excited. Our students are excited. We are bought into the, uh, to the program, and I, the buzzer goes off. I do a layup on each side. I'm feeling really good about myself. Uh, I make the free throw one shot. Never had to warm up. I'm feeling very good. Three point, this is when the team started coming back on after the halftime meeting. They've been kind of getting yelled at, but the coach is starting to take a, like a notice. Like, who's this long-haired white kid with the jumper? I didn't, I, I could only imagine. I get to the three-point shot. I'm not kidding you. Nothing but net half-court shot. I dribble twice, flick my hair, throw it up, and it bounces off the back of the back of the rim, and it goes up and hits the backboard, goes five rows deep into the stands. The clock is ticking. The clock is ticking. I run as fast as I could. And here's what they said. You have to get your own rebound. Nobody can help you. I get my ball. I throw it to the half court shot. I run back. And right as I get there, the buzzer goes off. And this is when I began my 10-year sales career. <laughs> I look at the guy and I said, hey, man, come on. You know that I need one more shot. I said, let me get one more shot. And he said, no, man, the rules are the rules. I said, let me get one more shot. And he said, I cannot do that. And so I looked at the crowd, and this is what I said. I said, one more shot. Help me out right here. One more shot. Yep, I'm reliving it. Yeah, I can see myself. Come on, don't stop. Okay, chill. I'm going to table the story there for a quick second. 
At the age of 19, I was in a horrific motorcycle accident that left me for a month at Harborview Medical Center. And the person that was single-handedly the reason why my life was spared was my best friend, Eric. And at 23 years old, I met Jesus, and I shared this story with you maybe in the past. And at 23 years old, I met Jesus. And here the guy that saved my life physically, all I wanted to do, I've been telling his story for the last three and a half years. It's been amazing because I love what Jesus can do. And at 23, there was one person that I said, God, he could save my life physically. You could save his life spiritually. And here's what happened. Year after year of being a Christian, I didn't get through. It just seemed like it was falling on deaf ears. And I was getting frustrated, but I didn't give up hope. I'm boarding a plane to go to Barcelona. I got a phone call, and this is what he said. My friend goes, hey, man, you want to go to Barcelona? I said, yeah, who's paying? That's a good question, right? It's a great question. I would love to. There's a lot of things I would love to do, but a lot of things I can't. I said, who's paying? He said, me. I said, this is amazing. I'm glad you're my friend. Have you ever met somebody who's like, hey, they're pretty good friends. You always got to get a rich friend. It's like, hey, I, there's some things I got to do with you that I just can't do anywhere else, bro. And he said, I'm paying. I said, when are we leaving? He said, I'm leaving in a week. And I said, okay, this is awesome. What are we doing? He goes, we're going on a mission trip. Oh. What do you do on a mission trip, right? You go help people. But I was in a funky season because I had been on staff with FCA for a year and a half. And I wasn't questioning whether or not FCA was an incredible organization. Here's what I was questioning. Was I the right guy for the job? Because I came out of a 10-year sales career, stepping into some things that required me to go and dig deeper into the things that I hoped to accomplish. But I was falling forward, and I was failing forward, and I was constantly just met with this idea. Have you ever worked all day long, let me ask you a question, and felt like you didn't get anything done? Oh, my goodness. But let me ask you a question. Have you worked all day long, laid your head on your pillow and felt that was an amazing hard day's work? I'm ready to wake up in the morning, get after it. Have you ever felt like that? Good work was happening. Momentum was happening. You accomplished your goals, right? It's February. Some of you are still in the gym. Hallelujah. It's been amazing, (laughs) right? And I had had this point of tension where I begin to think, because here's why, I'm 33 and I've tear this, look like, you talk to a 10-year-old, I'm old as dirt, you talk to somebody who's 60, I'm just getting started, I do not know how to feel. And so here I am, becoming more and more aware of myself. Have you ever become more aware of your strengths? Have, have you been looking at the glaring fact of your weaknesses, right? And then as you get older, right, they become clearer to you. And all I wanted to do was do great things in the strengths that God has put me, maybe work a little on the weaknesses, but really maximize the strengths because that's what looks good. You know what I'm saying? And a year and a half in, I had this point of tension because none of my strengths were being played to. I didn't get to experience the joy of all these incredible things that were taking place. I was trudging through my weaknesses and I was frustrated and kept being frustrated and I kept, it was just never once did I ever feel like I was in a momentous period of time. There's no traction. And so here I am. I'm going on a mission trip, baby. What do you do? You help people. And I'm going on a mission trip looking for the Lord. Like, you made it very clear to me, God, that I was supposed to do this. Please reveal yourself to me. And actually, it was like this. God, God, I need you to show up in my life. And I'm going to Barcelona. And here's what's going to happen. I need you to show up. That's what I need you to do. And I'm going on a plane. And here's when I get a phone call from my best friend. And this is what it sounds like. (laughs) You ever know that ugly cry? 
going to talk about the ugly crying later. Give you a quick story. My best friend was the most sufficient person I ever met in my life. He had more money than anybody I knew. He had more money, nicer house than all of my friends' parents and their grandparents growing up because he was a drug dealer and he had done a lot of things and he worked his way up in that area. He was one of the most well-known drug dealers in our entire city. He didn't want for nothing. He had the late model Benz, the big body Beamer. He had the dogs if you looked at them and they said he don't bite and I'm convinced that they absolutely do bite if you move too fast around them. The most sufficient person in my life He's calling me, and he said, hey, man, I don't know if you knew, but I'm living in your mom's basement. And I'm like, no, the lake house. What are we going to do when the summer hits? And he said, I got hooked on the drugs, and I'm selling, and he can barely talk, and I'm thinking, for this stone-cold brother, somebody had to have been dead. He said, I'm trudging through the steps of the N.A., and I'm on the step where it has to find somebody's higher power. For four months, I've been trying to get clean, and for... For very much of the last year, I've been getting so hooked on the drugs, I lost everything, no money, no nothing. And this is what he said. He said, I don't want to know anybody's higher power because that was a step in the NA program. He said, this is what I want to know. I want to know the God that has transformed your life. And I got a chance to lead my best friend to Jesus Christ on the way to Barcelona. Praise God. Praise God. And he's still excited about the life that he's living because here's why I love the church. And this is the, this is the reason why I'm here today. Because now I'm on the half court shot. And, and I dribble twice, and he says, do, 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 I, do we give him a one more shot? I dribble twice, flick my hair, he says, yeah. I throw it up, nothing but net, I want an Xbox. There's something about one more shot, and here's what I'm saying. When I'm on that plane, here's what I felt after a year and a half of tension with FCA. I felt the Lord say to me, I want to give you one more shot with FCA. I was one foot in, one foot out, and mostly I was about my entire body was ready to hit the door. And for the first time in my life, after being on staff with FCA now for four years, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Like, I could not imagine what the next five years is going to look like. Because, God, it was so good to me to change my perspective, to change the way that I viewed what I was doing. And here's why I love the church. If I were to give you one of my favorite topics in the, all the world, I used to love to talk about money. I used to love to talk about gambling. I used to love to talk about, right, other things. The number one topic I love to talk about right now is the church, and here's why. 23 years old, my entire life got wrecked by Jesus, and the church saved my life. Saved my life. Have you ever looked for something, only to find that it was literally right in front of you? Tell me, have you ever looked for something in that refrigerator of yours, and it felt like you were looking into the abyss, looking for the old McDonald's leftovers that you have, and you could not find it, or maybe that condiment that you needed? Let me tell you, this is my wife, Jill. She's the first time she's able to join us at Vineyard Church. I've been here before. Um, this is my beautiful wife, Jill. I call her the tornado, because when, here's why. I know where I put my keys, and I like where I put my keys, and then, of course, if you walk about 10 more feet, I like where I put my wallet. And then I absolutely, if you walk 10 more feet down, I'd like to know where I put my, my shoes. But when my wife gets to ready to clean, she's the tornado, and things get put in places that I never thought they should be. Right? Have you ever looked for something for so long, and then it was right in front of you, right? And I'm asking my, babe, have you seen my keys? I don't know if you ever have to live through this. She's like, yes, they're on the hook. And guess what I've done? I've looked past the hook, but that's not where I put them, so I'm not going to look very long. And they've been on the hook the entire time. And for years... I was looking for purpose. 
And for years, I was looking for hope. For years, I was looking for significance and momentum in life to be what it's supposed to be, only to be met with heartache after heartache after heartache after heartache. And on Sunday mornings, the only time that I'd ever get out, back in the day, I was the guy that went out with pajama pants to IHOP. And I would see the people coming from church, and I'd drive by all these churches, and let me tell you, I'm looking for hope, I'm looking for significance and purpose, only to be found that I was, it was right in front of me the entire time, and it was found in the local church. And I would drive by, and I would drive by, and I would drive by, and I would ridicule and I would say, I'd never want to be an item. The very place that I used to avoid like the plague is now the very place that I cannot wait to be. The very place that I avoided is now the place that I give my time and my resources. And I'm so happy I can say this for you. Give. Tithe. Give. Tithe. God will always uh, meet you where you are, and you'll always have what you need. Let me tell you, my wife and I have been together for seven years. We've been tithing together ever since we've been married. And I don't work here, and she didn't work at a church. We're just like you. We are members of the community. And let me tell you something. We've never gone without. So if you can give. So here's what I want to talk to you about. Uh, a little bit about my friend. His name is Peter. Peter. Peter's like the kind of guy. Now, if you don't know who he was, he was a man's man, leader, fisherman. I don't know how to fish. I'm from the city, single mom, growing up. I knew how to iron. That was about all I knew how to do. I knew how to lie. That was another good thing I was really great at. Right? Growing up as a kid, I also knew how to run from city rats and people who wanted to beat me up. That was the only thing. I was fast. But I did not know how to fish. Peter was the kind of guy that would have maybe dirt underneath his fingernails. But have you ever met somebody? Have you ever met somebody who said the first thing that came to their mind, they just didn't seem to think about what they were supposed to say? And a lot of times they're putting their foot in their mouth. Right, this was Peter. Peter was always down to get down. There was a time, and we're going to talk a little bit about it, but Jesus, there was a point where he was being captured, and Peter was like, nah, uh not happening. Took out a sword, cut a dude's ear off. Could you imagine if we were on Lake Miriam tonight and all of a sudden these people came to capture Andy and I just came out with a sword, baby. Peter was down. He was down to throw down. <laughs> Peter was also filled with faith. Oh, my goodness. Have you ever been around somebody who lacked faith and you're just like, golly, you are a real dread to be around. But have you been around somebody who absolutely loved faith and they were okay with being in that space and we were just encouraged? Peter was that kind of person. But before Peter was Peter, we're going to talk about his name was Simon. But here's where we're picking up in the book of Matthew 26, 69 through 75. It's going to be on the screen. Here's why I love the church, because the church is the land of the one more shot. The church is where we give people who may have been discarded by the world an opportunity to live in hope and passion and in faith in the future. Here's what it says. Meanwhile, Peter, who was sitting outside in the courtyard... This is after Jesus had been captured. And in the same chapter, he says to his disciples, I'm going to be taken and I'm going to be beaten and hung on a cross. And I'll be back, though, just to let you know, I'm going to be uh, back in three days. And here's what happens. He says, you're going to all abandon me. And here's what Pete said. Pete said, no, not me. These Cracker Jacks might, but not me. Not Peter, not me. Come on, you think I would leave you, baby? Peter, right, he put his foot in his mouth, right, and he said, Peter, just to let you know before the rooster crows three times, <laughs> you're going to deny me. And a servant girl came 
and said to him, you were one of those with Jesus, the Galilean. And here's what Peter, but Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about. He said later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around him, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. Back in the day, we used to say, I put that on my mama. I promise you, I did that. No, right? It was an oath. It was like taking a promise, like a curse on me if what I'm saying is a lie. This time, it was a bit more emphatic. I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We could tell by your Galilean accent. Anybody have a best friend in here? Yeah, here's the mark of a true best friend. You can be in the same room and not say a word, but you know exactly what they're thinking about, <laughs> right? Best friends, you finish each other's sentences. But here's, as you get older, you know you're best friends with somebody if you take them on vacation with you because you're not taking everybody out there to see you with the shirt off at the beach, right? <laughs> Right? You must be one of them because we can tell by your Galilean accent. Here's my prayer for this church. I walk into this church and there's a sweet tenderness about this church. And I pray that sweet tenderness goes out into the world and they can say things like, oh yeah, you're, you're, you're like the people from the, the vineyard church. You're like the people, oh yeah, yeah, I know exactly who you are. Some of the most kind people I've ever met in my life. It's the most amazing thing I could see. And I walk into this church, I've never felt... Like, I needed to be anybody I'm not. Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man, and immediately the rooster crowed, and suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. He was weeping bitterly. Have you ever experienced an ugly cry? Yeah. You don't want the ugly cry to happen, but in the middle of the ugly cry, you don't want it to stop. Y'all think I'm playing. You get a good cry, and a good cry afterward feels really good. The ugly cry is the kind of cry that if you look yourself in the mirror at one point, you're not going to stop looking away, and it's going to get uglier. Then you think you can hear somebody in the house, and you, who's here? Anybody here? Hey, no, I'm fine. Everything's good. Just inspecting the bathroom. Peter had the ugly cry, right? There's the pitiful cry by one and a half year old. And then there's the pathetic cry, right? It's the, uh, I couldn't imagine what Peter felt, but I can empathize with him. Because we look at Peter, and Peter's supposed to be this high and mighty man's man. He's doing an amazing job. And then all of a sudden, he denies Peter, and, or he denies that he knows Jesus. And here's why I love Peter and why I love Jesus, because... I empathize with him because oftentimes that's how I am. I deny Jesus in some of the things that I do. It might come off in my words. It may come off in my actions or it may come off in my lack or my inability or my laziness or just some things that, hey, you may not ever see me that I'm just kind of kicking back and not really taking the stuff. But like there's some things in my life where I've absolutely denied Jesus. Are you with me? But thank God he doesn't leave us there. And here's what I know. Peter didn't deny Jesus. Here's what I know. Like, this wasn't a superhero plot where he was like, no, I don't know Jesus, only to blend in later to maybe come by with a sword and figure out a way to rescue Jesus and swindle his way past the guards. 
you won't believe how I got in here, man. That's not the plan. He was fearing for his life. He was fearing for his reputation. And he's looking at Jesus. And if they're going to do that to him, oh, man, certainly they're going to do that to me. That's what caused Peter too, right? Have you ever tried to live for Jesus, but there were some things on the line, maybe your reputation? Have you ever tried to do great things for Jesus, but life got in the way and you said, maybe I'll come back to it another time? I empathize with it. But here's what I, I could not imagine what Peter believed about himself. Have you ever believed something about yourself that isn't true? Let me tell you something. I used to think that I was a dog guy. There are cat people, dog people. I thought I was a dog guy through and through, baby. It was in my blood. But I realized over the years, I'm just a good guy. No, I'm not going to come in and make your dog go away from me. I'm going to enjoy your dog in your house. That's, that's the way I was. And so dogs would take a liking to me because I would pet them. It seemed like more than any of their family members. And then I got a dog. And I realized I'm not a dog guy. <laughs> I'm just not a pet guy. Right? Have you ever believed something, maybe back in the day you were good at sports and then you had a bad game and then you thought to yourself, why do I even play this game? Right? Or maybe worse yet, have you, ever, have you ever felt like you just wouldn't ever be enough? Have you ever believed something about yourself that isn't true? Will anybody ever notice me? Am I just in the shadows of everybody's life? Have you ever believed something about yourself that isn't true? Is poverty it for me? Is this all that I will ever have, just relying on external things and hoping that one day my life is not going to have to be in a constant state of struggle? Have you ever believed something about yourself that isn't true? I could not imagine what Peter believed about himself. Here I am denying literally the one person that I adored the most. And in front of all these people, I said, I absolutely do not know him. A curse on me. And I promise you, I did not ever spend time with this person. I could not imagine what it would look like. And in one passage, it says that Jesus, when the rooster crowed, made eye contact with Peter. I could not imagine the one person I adore the most on the planet Earth. If in all in front of you, I looked at her and I said, absolutely, I don't know this person. I could not imagine the pain and the exchange between our eyes that would happen. And then I also can tell you this, I would be fearing to going home because she would probably kill me. I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine. But over the time, over time, and as we get older, let me tell you something. Have you ever developed a reputation? My wife and I live two blocks away from our house, and we've been on time to church maybe six times in a year. Yeah. We thought we're going to get closer, baby. We're going to be on time. It got so bad that the lady in the second row started saving our seats because we are eventually going to get there. But when we show up late to church, it's not like, you know, It's like, hey, man, like, how are you doing, everybody? Good to see you, right? We just, we're notoriously late. Have you ever met somebody who, like, right, they just never, and then you fill in the blank, right? Over time, they develop a reputation. Here's um, um, what, I, what I see in, in, in Matthew, in, my, here's, in, in Matthew 26. There's a bold print, and you know what it says about Peter? It says that, it says, Peter denies Jesus. Over time, we start believing things about people, and we conclude that their life will be what it is. This is what I wrote down. This is what I wrote down. I think it's on here. 
just three pages, and a small table that's tall makes me look shorter. <laughs> we are conditioned to see people and remember them for who they were or what they had done, and we lack the vision. Let me tell you, we lack the vision and the hope and belief for who God has called them to be. It's easy to say, oh, yeah, right? There's that person. Do you, do you, know, do you know John's niece? That, oh, yeah, that guy over there, yeah, I remember a couple years ago, and and all of a sudden, right, it, we, there's a reputation that develops. And it's, it's kind of terrifying when we think about it because that's not how Jesus remembers us. Why the church, friends? Because in a time where there's rapid change, new technology is being developed. Some things are obsolete in less than a year. There are new terms and definitions, right? You look good if you look this way. You sound good if you sound this way. You are acceptable if you do these things. You are worthy if you own this stuff. And new terms and new change and new definitions begin to attach. We are in rapid change. New, tech, new technology and develops are happening. But here's what I know. The Bible says this, though the grass and the fields may wither and the flowers may fade, the word of the Lord will never return, or the, excuse me, will stand forever. It'll never change. In an ever-changing world, we attach ourselves to a non-changing God. In an ever-changing society where things are what they are, there's chaos ensued, new moral compasses being redefined, like it's okay if you can go this far, but maybe just not that far. You can do these things, and it's okay, right? But here's what I know. There is something about stability. There's something about knowing who God is, that he is unchanging, never changes, never lies. When we attach ourselves to the anchor, why the church? Because when the world says we only want the best and the brightest, the church says that we will take what the world deems unworthy and find them a place. When the world says we only want the ones with no baggage, that's a nasty term to put on somebody. The church says we want to bear your burdens with you. Amen. When the world says we want the most talented people, the church says this in Romans eleven twenty nine that your gifts and your calling are irrevocable and can never be withdrawn. We want to show you how gifted you are and how uniquely positioned you are, no matter what you haven't seen or in yourself and no matter what other people haven't seen in you. Why the church? Because when the world says that you're not good enough, the church says you actually you're more than enough. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. You were knit together in your mother's womb, and you have purpose, and you have value. God is crazy about you. Could you imagine what people thought about Peter? There he goes, the one who denied. Jesus, however, there he goes, because let me tell you about a passage about Peter. Before Peter was Peter, he was Simon. This may be a familiar story with you. And before he was Peter, he was Simon. Jesus changed his name to Peter, and in the 16th chapter of Matthew, we're in the 26th chapter of Matthew, he said, hey, listen, your name is actually no longer Simon, it's Peter, and it means rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church. And then in 26, prior to what the passage we read, he said, you're going to deny me. And then he denies him. And then Peter goes on in the book of Acts, and leads 3,000 people to Christ. Why? It's very important that we understand the way Jesus works. It's what he says about us. He is the first and the final. And this is my point. 
So Jesus kept the record of his promise, not the record of Peter's failure. Why the church? Because there is records being kept upon people's lives. And if they're not careful, they will be defined by those records rather than defined by his promise. If we're not careful, we will keep a record of our wrongs and we will deem ourselves unworthy. But Jesus, thank God, he's not keeping the same record book that I'm keeping. He's keeping a record of his promises. Here's why I empathize with Peter. Because he denied him and I deny him. Do you know what denying means? It's just simply this, to hold back. Have you held back from something? To deny Jesus, right, is to hold back. And along the lines, here's what happens. Life can be hard, you know, right? Life can be tough. You ever had three kids, right? And, want, and then your, and, and your wife tried to convince you to have a four. <laughs> you ever been there? <laughs> but over the years, and I'm going to end here shortly here, we pick up some things, right? We pick up a little bitterness. And then we, we pick up a little doubt. And then, and then we pick up some frustration. And then along the way, like we, we begin marked because we've picked up a lot of poor decision making and then our hands are full. And here's what the Bible says. It says in Acts 17, 27, his purpose, everybody say his, not mine. Say that, say that, say not mine. Thank God it's not my purpose, it's his purpose. But his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Here's my question. Over the years, we pick up a lot of these things that make no meaning, that have no value, that define us, right? And the whole time it says that we are perhaps to feel our way toward him. But how can we feel our way toward Jesus if our hands are full of all of this stuff? Could you imagine? Like, how many of you, let's be real, real quick. Some of the worst times in my life when depression set in were after I gave my life to Jesus. I don't know. That's not something to just be excited. I'm not leading with that, okay? I could only imagine because at no point did I ever doubt who Jesus was and I was asking him, would you please take this from me? I could not imagine what it's like to have Jesus go through this and then to not have Jesus and go through life without him at all. And all the things that people are carrying. You know what the Bible says about snatching people from the flames of judgment? It says to do so with great caution. Why would we need caution? Because we need to get close to the pain. We need to get close to the sin. We need to get close to the people and say, I would like to bear this burden with you. Why the church? Because I've been around a lot of people and I've never seen people that outside of, excuse me, I've never seen a collective group of people that I am drawn to more, do more work than in anything that I've ever been a part of. Why the church? Have you ever felt like you couldn't help anybody right now? Because why? You felt like your life was in shambles. You know, we liken the church that of a hospital, right? It's a bunch of broken people helping broken people. And my wife watches Grey's Anatomy, and my favorite, story, my favorite parts are when the doctors get sick, or they have, like, tragedy, or they've stuck themselves, and they're, like, talking the person through, like, yeah, you need to put that in my artery over here instead, and, right, or I don't know, vein. That's the church, baby. It's a broken people helping broken people. Why do I love God so much? Can I tell you this real quick? 
There are a lot of things I wanted in life. Money, power, fame, success. There's tons that I've wanted. So many things that I longed for. And it all made sense as to why would I ever give my life to Jesus? Why would I ever give my life to a loving father? And it became very clear that it's because there is a father in heaven who loves me and wants me more than I want anything on planet earth. You know, there's a lot of people looking for purpose, and maybe that's you in this room today. There's a lot of people looking for help, and they don't know where to find it, but they're finding themselves in self-help books, and they, those are great things if they help you move forward, but a lot of times they look at those things to be the savior of our life and our soul. But how many of you know there's only one of those, and I'm going to close with this very last thing. I've got a picture that I would love to share with you, and this is not to evoke emotion, but this is to inspire faith. <laughs> okay, old picture. This is back in 2009, 2010. Um, pixelated camera phone. This is my friend Gary Hutt. This would be like where the keyboard player would come up, but we're not going to do that here. Okay. <laughs> this is my friend Gary Hutt. I got great news. He's with Jesus. That's great news. That's great, G that's great news. He's with Jesus. Everybody can say, yeah, come on. Let's, he's with Jesus. <laughs> Gary woke up one morning, and here's what happened. He lost all feeling in his right hand, or excuse me, his left hand. And then he woke up like several mornings later, and then his left leg began to fail, and then his whole left side of his body began to fail. And this is my friend Gary Hutt. Let me tell you, I've never, ever prayed for somebody up to this point for God to heal them. And I connect with Gary. He's walking in. We just crossed paths. I had hair then, so I certainly didn't remind him of his head. But he looked at me with the greatest conviction, and this is what he said. He said, you remind me of myself when I was younger. And my life doesn't look anything like it should right now. Or I expected, would you please come and pray for me? And he began to tell me about his symptoms. And I'm over there at his house. And this is when he gave me a vial of oil. And I'm thinking, I don't know what to do with this. This is interesting. This is how new in the faith I was. But I did have a reverent faith, a conviction. And I believed that God would heal him. And he is healed in heaven. But here's what happened. I'm sitting in front of Gary. I'm praying for him. 30 days later, I, I get this call from, from my friend Charla Hutt. She says, Terry, can you meet me in Seattle? Come up with some people. We'd like to pray for Gary. It's not looking good. I said, I would love to. And I'm praying for my friend. At this point, he's lost all mobility except for in his right hand. Except for a little bit of speech where you can hear through slurring of the words with great clarity and with great conviction what he's trying to say. Why the church? Because people like Gary have changed the trajectory of my faith. Because I'm praying for him, and I don't even know who that guy is. I don't know who that dude is. He came with a, a friend of mine, um, but I'm taking this picture, and this is what Gary said. He said, we're doing this the wrong way. I believe I'm going to be with Jesus. I want to pray for you and pass the torch. I want to pass on to you what is in me. He had an unwavering conviction to do great things for the kingdom. And when Gary could have denied Jesus... At the worst of his life, 
He did good things. He tithed. He worked hard. He helped the community. He loved his wife. He loved his church. And let me tell you something about Gary Hutt. His faith in Christ was unshakable. Nowhere else did I find when your life was on the line. Let me tell you something. When your life is on the line, what are you thinking? What are you saying? Why the church? Because it makes sense. It makes sense. It makes sense for us to have that deep conviction because if we are going to experience some of the things in our life that could potentially say, it's okay if you were to bow out right now because this does not look good. It's people like Gary Hutt that would inspire a young Terry Green to go do things and 10 years later, I'm walking with Christ and we're helping people find the same message deep within their heart. Why the church? If not you, then who? That's my question. If not you, then who? This church is marked with something so special. More people need to know about it. I pray you live with urgency, and I'm going to pray for you. If we could stand to our feet. Um, how are we closing? Good. I would like to pray for you, and um, thank you so much for this morning. God, I love you. And I thank you that you didn't leave us at the gate. You didn't leave us in the courtyard. You didn't leave Peter in the way that you treated Peter was you were not surprised by him. And yet you didn't leave him there. I thank you for each and every single one of these individuals in this place. I pray you empower them, grow them. Place within them, God, urgency. In Jesus' name, we love you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You just stay standing. We're going to pray for Terry and Jill. Come on. Mm -hmm. So I know, uh, you know, what, what is the old saying? I, well, I say it a little bit differently because I'm we're born in the 50s. But um, beside every man is a great woman. Thing is a beside thing, <laughs> um, and um, so we're just going to pray for them, you know, and that God would bless this, what's going on. God, thank you for Terry, thank you for Jill, I thank you for bringing my friend um, into my life, mm -hmm. that our lives and our paths intersected, God, and, and God, I just thank you for what you're doing in and through this couple. Father, I just thank you for their family, and I pray blessings on their family, God. I pray blessings on their children, God, um, that you would just come and have your way in their lives. And uh, for vision, forward, uh, God, that we're continually moving forward. You're transforming us, and, and God, I pray for a deep transformation to continue to take place. This is the 10th year that, that Terry's been calling on your name as mm -hmm. Savior, and I just pray, God, that you would just... Um, you are beginning to do things, but God, I pray that you would continue to do more and more things. God, I pray as, as Terry and, and Jill look forward together, God, that you would just open up doors that they never thought uh, or imagined, mm. um, but, but you're going to do it. And I pray for um, an empowering of the Holy Spirit, God, that you would guide them, um, God, that they would just be used um, in ways God, that, that are just beyond what they could ever think. And so I just thank you uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all so much. So I think, I think Terry, Terry just prayed for us.
I felt like you just prayed for us, right? You just did, right? <laughs> That's cool, man. Man, I appreciate this guy. Um, you know, and, and this is uh, this is part of what we're supporting here. Uh, you know, Terry Green, FCA. This is part of what we're supporting. The mall, uh, Ray. Uh, Ray with the Cuban Partnership, Steve Nicholson with the Turkish Partnership, John and Ariana with Wycliffe uh, Bible Translation, uh, Rebecca Klein um, with the Women's Choice Pregnancy Center, um, and uh, Julie and Travis Bernard. I mean, these are the people that we're supporting. I don't think I forgot anybody there. Medela, the Medela community uh, is another one. So I just I want to encourage you all. Like, I just feel like this, and, you know, I'm not going to say, like, you know, God said, but I mean, God kind of did say in here, but he, he wants to move, right? Like read Matthew, read our, read our scripture here, Matthew 28. He's not telling them like, hey, um, you can go if you want to. He's saying go, all right? And it doesn't mean come to church on Sunday and then go and do nothing. What he's saying is go into the world and see, not see what you can do. All right, but see what I can do in and through you. You know, join me is what he's saying in what I'm doing. All right, and and I feel like at Lake Lemire that's that's happening, and I just want to encourage you, be a part. All right, be a part of a small part of something big. All right, and I'm gonna pray also, and then we're out. God, thanks for this day. Father, have your way. God, I pray that this message that Terry spoke, it's not going to fall on uh, just, you know, go in one ear and, and out the other. God, I want to pray that it resonates. I want to pray that, that you, you begin to empower people to move in the things that you want to do. God, help us to have eyes to see. Help us to look at the people around us and know that they are made in your image. And, and right where they are is not where you want them. But, God, you're, you are calling to them. And, God, you would use the church. There's no plan B that you would use the church to impact change in a community through people to people. And I just pray that you would just do what only you can do in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hey, well, we're going to get out of here. Here's what I would say to you. It's 1024, all right? If you want to chat for a few minutes, that's cool, but then i got to give you the boot, okay, uh, because we got to clear out for the next service, okay? Uh, meet some people you don't know and have a great day.